I'm like, I'm not going to try to sing a song. I don't have any business doing that, but excellent job. Uh, let's start with our, our dwelling in the Word passage this morning as our prayer today. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you. God, we thank you for this time together to sing praises to you, to share in communion, to fellowship, God. And now, as we turn our attention to studying your word, God, God, speak through this text and, and let it rest on our hearts. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. So there is no denying, and John Mulliken spoke about this last week, that over the last several years, churches were struggling. Um, churches have, have been through it. They've been through the ringer. We know that. I became obsessed with statistics on churches years ago at the beginning of my dissertation program. It's a humble brag. I have that degree. But at the beginning of the process, I was starting to look at research of church trends around 2018. And what we were seeing was Generation Z was losing interest fast. About 20% of respondents in Generation Z for a particular Barna study said that they were at least interested in church. If you're a math major— that's not great statistics. Also, they found that 56% of respondents said that church was no longer culturally relevant to them. Now, I'm bringing up those statistics, one to start off a sermon because who doesn't love numbers right out of the gate, but to show that like even before the pandemic, there were things at the church that we should have been paying attention to. There were signs that said, hey, trouble is ahead. Challenging times are in front of you if you're looking at the research. If you're looking at the number, the trends are supporting where the church is going. Now, in, in my professional opinion, like the pandemic just rapid, you know, it, it accelerated those trends. It detached us. It disconnected us. It made church hard and difficult. And I know you're probably wondering, what a weird way to start a sermon, bumming everybody out. That was not my intention at all. Because when I see stuff like that, when I look at trends, when I see numbers that are discouraging, you've got to look for the hope somewhere else. And over the last five weeks, what we've done is we walk through ancient promises that still hold true today. We've talked about how God still reigns in our life, a reminder that we, every one of us needs. We've talked about how the Bible still speaks, that there's still guidance and wisdom in the Holy Bible that we still have today. We've talked about how Jesus still saves, that the Holy Spirit still empowers, and the promise that we see in Scripture that I want to spend time this morning on is that the church will prevail. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins a dialogue with his disciples. The text begins, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Have you ever answered a question like that? Because let's just call a spade a spade what these particular disciples are doing. They're like, we're just going to check all the boxes. Maybe we'll get one right. I mean, they just kind of throw them all out there. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter, always quick to answer. He's always ready to go, ready to give his opinion, ready to give his thought. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now often, when we look at this passage, we stop there. We're like, all right, let's have a conversation about Peter. Let's have a conversation about, you know, where the church begins. Like, that's kind of where that dialogue stops. But that next line, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We can look around and we can look at statistics and we can say, oh man, things, they don't look good. Or man, the church has been through a difficult time. But one of the promises that Jesus gives us is the church will prevail. The church will overcome. And so what we want to do this morning is talk about how do we participate in that? What is my role in that overcoming, in that prevailing? What do I need to do? And so I thought about my time with teenagers. And I started thinking, what was the most annoying thing that I used to do to teens? Now, Anna Yates is back from her summer travels, and I was going to call Anna up here and ask her, but I was afraid. Because what if the annoying thing that I had prepared for the sermon was a different one? Then my feelings would have been hurt. So I have an intent here. And so I talked to Anna before this, just to confirm. But if you were to ask teenagers, and some, a few of them have also kind of confirmed this, but if you were to ask them, what is the most annoying thing that I talked about as a youth minister was that in my heart, and here we go, and hold your laughter until it's over. In my heart, I believe that if I trained for six months, uh, and Sophie Lair is laughing, that I could do just about any professional athleticism thing. So I'll give you a moment to process that. And so my idea was that if I didn't have any other work obligations, you know, it's like, Whitney, good luck with the kids. For six months, my entire focus was a professional sport that I could make a team. Now, Anna, the, the thing with swimming that Anna was like, there's absolutely no way that you could be like an Olympic athlete if you train for six months. But I'll, I'll fight you on this one, football. Some of you are like, okay, we can see you. You know that. But long snapper, if I trained for six months... I didn't say what role on the team it would be, but it would be a role. I would be a participant on the team. Now, I'm aware that is ridiculous. It infuriates some of these students who have trained in, in their crafts that I'm sitting there thinking, like, for six months I could do anything. That's insane and ludicrous. But the big thing here when we talk about where the church prevails is our participation is essential. We have to, as followers of Jesus, move from being fans to being followers. It is so easy to sit on the sidelines and be like, y'all should be doing this, or you should be doing this, or providing this service, X, Y, Z. But there's a difference when we move from being on the sidelines to being a follower, to being a disciple. There is no way, and some of you are like, there's no way ever, there's no way that I would ever become a professional athlete if I did not work towards that. If I didn't put in the effort, the energy, the commitment, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to one day become a professional athlete. But I could maybe, and Anna's like, no, you couldn't. I could maybe get a little bit closer if I put in the effort and the work. And so when we talk about how the church will prevail, the church will only prevail if we participate in that process. So what does that look like? The first step in that participation is becoming like Jesus, reflecting the image of Jesus. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement— 
from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The first step in the church will prevail starts with us reflecting the image of God. It will never happen. We will never overcome if we don't participate, if we don't reflect Jesus in our actions, in our thoughts, in the way that we treat people, the way that we love people even outside of this community. Maybe that coworker that you're like, no. I'm not going to lunch with her. I don't like her. We disagree on everything. Maybe that's who you're talking about right now. But if we are going to be kingdom builders, if we are going to help the church prevail, you might have to reflect the image of Christ in those relationships. Now, I thought about this a lot this week as we move forward into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I found this thing, this is my wallet, but I found this thing from an old trip that I went to in Honduras. Uh, we were about to leave from my old church. We, we had, you know, vans. We were driving to Nashville, Tennessee to go to the airport. And uh, an older member from the church showed up. She was not attending the trip. She was not uh, going. To my knowledge, I didn't even know she was interested in Honduras in general. And so we were all kind of like, oh, hey, what's going on? And so she went to every single individual's bag and put these on it. And I've kept this forever. It just says, Penny Rowell Church of Christ. It's got my name tag in it. Um, it just says, you know, contact Barry Webb, which was an elder, but um, not me. I'm not Barry Webb, but this is actually mine. But she put it on every single person's bag. In a minute, I want to look at a text in, in 1 Corinthians that is important. Because when we think about our role in kingdom building, our role in participation in the church prevailing, we all have different roles. It all looks different. We each have a part in being kingdom builders. I went on that trip. It was a medical mission trip, so looking at me again, no business really going on that one either. I was there. We did a little bit of, you know, carpentry work. Also didn't help with that. So some of you are like, you didn't really do too much different than her. But my point is this. She had a role on that trip. It looked different for each of us. Some people were hammering things. Some people were providing medical care for kids. What she provided was making sure that our luggage, we knew where our luggage was, and we were able to see it. Each of us, regardless of our value there, if we think that this role is not as good as the next, we each have a purpose. We each have a role, and Jesus looks at those equally because we're all kingdom builders. Now, Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with this line, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul is doing this thing where he's addressing questions. He's responding to things that the Corinthian church has asked him. So this is the third time that he does this. He does this about marriage, and he also does this about uh, food being sacrificed to idols. But it's the third time that we see this in the story, in the, the first, book of 1 Corinthians. But I'm wanting to teach you something. I'm wanting to address the questions that you have. And so in verse 12, he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Like when I read passages like that, I think about this little uh, luggage strap. She had a role on that trip. She didn't attend, but she had a role. It was valuable, and it was necessary, and it was helpful. And some of you could say, like, oh, she didn't build a house. She didn't drive a car. She didn't eat food with you, Bryce. But I would say she, she gave a lot because she understood that the church is a body that works together, that we all have different roles. We all have different gifts. We're all bringing different beautiful things to the table, and by coming together, we are glorifying God in that. And when we do that together, the church will prevail. When we are working together as one team, as one mission, with one mindset, we are doing what we are commanded to do. Paul continues later in chapter 12 with verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And Paul is, is going to go into the next chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about the chapter of love. We, we know that passage. and it's, it's leading to that is where he's building up. But he's, he's establishing something that is beautiful when we think about what the church is. None of us are the same. We don't think the same. We, we do different things. We have different interests. But that is what makes the church beautiful. And that is what gives the church hope. Is that when we recognize that we have these differences and that we're coming together to be one, to build up something, to do something beautiful and powerful that the world has not seen. Because in, in the world, guys, we are called to be selfish. We're called to do things for our own interest. But what we are being taught here in Scripture is that that is not how the church operates. The church functions to glorify each other's gifts, to bring us together as one. And so when Paul leans into this idea of, are all apostles, are all prophets? It's like, each of you is different. Each of you has their own voice, their own interests and passions. In the next few weeks, in, in the adult class upstairs, we're talking about spiritual gifts, because we don't talk about those enough. We don't talk about how God has created each and every one of us with desires and passions. And those desires and passions, God is calling us into moments and opportunities. And we need to be courageous enough to lean into those. Like if your gift is inviting people, what can we do to assist you in that? If your gift is, is serving the homeless community here in Little Rock, what can we as a church family do to help you on that journey? We don't want to just abandon you and send you out on, on your own uh, track. We want to walk with you, assist with you, help you grow, and do it as one. Because that is what we are called to do. And so as the church, we talk about this idea of the church will overcome, the church will prevail. The first thing that we have to do is reflect the image of God. The second thing we have to do is recognize that God has created each of us with purposes and gifts that are unique and special to each one of us. And the third thing that we have to do if we are going to be a church that will assist in that overcoming, that prevailing, that will continue on, we have to stay committed to one another. 
One of my favorite passages that, that I've spent basically the last three years breaking apart is Hebrews chapter 10. That was the, the cornerstone of my dissertation project. I, I love this passage. I love Hebrews a lot because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I spent a, an exorbitant amount of research and time trying to explain who wrote Hebrews, and, and my chair was like, why'd you do that? We still don't know who wrote Hebrews, and you spent a lot of time telling us that we didn't know. But it was fun for me, not for them. But I love Hebrews because there's so much mystery in it, right? There's so much just beautiful text and language. But one of the commands that we get from the Hebrews writer is powerful. And it's in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and you get three exhortations here. We are commanded, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unservingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. There's kind of three just simple things. Like, are you encouraging one another? Like, what are you doing right now? When we talk about the church overcoming, what are you doing right now to participate in that process? And we see just kind of three easy things to kind of get the ball rolling in Hebrews chapter 10. We're called to commit to one another. What's happening in the Hebrew church is there's persecution. There's a lot of stuff happening in this particular community that people are like, you know what? I'm going to stay home today. Uh, the church is being persecuted. It's scary. Maybe they've got kids. and like, look, I don't want to risk it. But they're, they're not meeting. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, you need to be together. Like, if the church is going to grow, if the church is going to be strengthened, you have to be together. I love this idea, too, of let us draw near to God with us in their heart. Do you know what happens when we draw near to God? We start caring more about others. It's just instinctual. When you allow God to control and dominate your life, guys, that overflows into every relationship, every community, every workplace connection becomes now an opportunity to serve God and to love others. And verse 23, this idea that we, we should never let go of that hope. I started this morning talking about the challenges that the church has faced. And one of the things, like, when we face challenges or trial, troubling situations, we often just lean hard into the negatives. And we say, man, this is terrible. <laughs> this is awful. It would be easy for us to look outside and be like, oh, it's a rainy day. But if we're honest with ourselves, like, we needed that rain. I mean, that's, that's hard dad talk right there. You know, like, we needed that rain. You can kind of see your dad standing outside looking at the weather. But, like, think about that. It would be easy to just look at the negative and be like, it's raining, man, we can't play outside. The opposite of that is the, the hope that the rain brings. Our ground needed that. And so what the writer of Hebrews reminds us of is that if we're going to be committed in this prevailing church, in this church that overcomes, we have to hold on to that hope. And finally, just to kind of restate, we have to be committed to one another. And all of those things work together when it comes to a church that will prevail. We have to move from the idea of being fans to being followers. And if the church will be prevailing, we have to be participants in that. 
Kingdom building does not happen just by happenstance. I am not a professional athlete because I have never committed to being a professional athlete. But the things that I've worked for in my life have happened because I've worked for them. I've committed to them. And if we are going to be a church that moves forward, a church that grows, a church that blesses this community and this city, we've got to understand that and work together and be participants in that prevailing.